0: very special time of grace when we enter into the last phase of Lent and the third phase of the Son of God made man's life on earth. First, his infancy. Second, his public life. Well, his infancy, including his hidden life of work, of family life, of friendship, where He kept his preaching and miracle-working on hold, if you will. It was so ordinary that his listeners were shocked that he would actually comment on some verses from the prophet Isaiah, and especially shocked when they said, guess what, boys, it applies to me. His public life, basically, as we're reading in these Gospels of the week preceding the Holy Week that is traditionally called Passion Time. He's wrapping things up, giving proof that he is God. And he is always displaying an incarnation of love, but he's emphasizing his power. He says, listen, my works are pointing to divinity. It's not every day you see someone create an arm. Withered arm, now you got a new arm. Long distance cure of a leper. You're out of wake and someone walks in and brings them back to life. And that doesn't happen just once, it's you know a few times that happens, you know, this certain individual. You have a fever, no need to go to Walgreens and buy medicine, it's gone. All right? <laughs> now make me a sandwich. That's sort of his style. <laughs> so he's doing that all the time. No need to go to an ophthalmologist. Yeah, let's see though, yeah, yeah, come over You're OK, you're, 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 you're going to have the best eyesight in Israel here, you know. Uh, there's no wine, OK, well, now each bottle is worth 500 bucks, And now you have 130 gallons of it, yeah, you've hit the jackpot. There's not enough food, well, I'll make enough so there's 12 extra baskets. It's not easy to do that feeding 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fish. But he pulled it off easily, and he had 12 baskets left over. So basically, he's making a perfect case. I'm divine. And now, he's going to show another side of him. He's going to exclusively show his compassionate love. And he's going to leave, as St. Paul says in chapter 2 of the Philippians, he's going to leave his divinity aside. And a sneak preview to that is when he washes feet, he removes the garments, which symbolizes he's pushing the divinity aside. And this case he made for being God, you know, look at my works, what I do, will Give even more meaning to Act Three of his life, which is his intense, horrific suffering. Because the subject, the protagonist, the main character of this humiliation, of this dreadful, slow death, is God. And it's a mystery how can our God be treated? in such a horrible, humiliating way. The only explanation is the right explanation, but it's the only one. My God is love, and the revelation of God is the incarnation of love. And when you're infinite love, you rig up a way, because God as God cannot suffer, God as God cannot change, God as God cannot diminish his infinite, everlasting happiness, Okay, well, if I take on a human nature, I can. So that's what he did. He said, okay, well, now I suffer. Now I'm vulnerable. Now I'm in total solidarity with every human being. I've figured out a way. Now I need love. Now sin offends me. Why? Because I identify with every person. And sin is rejection of this unparalleled revelation of total self-giving, which is narrated by the different little steps, little phases of what we call his suffering, passion. It's the first time and only time that Jesus says, watch and pray. He's intimating it. In the context of his future passion, he predicts it in a light way, talks about his yoke and his burden, And he says, learn from me. When he says learn and watch, it's always directed towards these phases of suffering that culminate in his loss of life on the cross. And then at the Passion, at Act 1, the first sorrowful mystery, the agony in the garden, Jesus doesn't use the word learn. He says, now watch with me and pray. We see why he made a case for his divinity in these gospel passages, chapter 5 of John, chapter 8 of John, because something unprecedented happened in Gethsemane, something that was inconceivable. He is perfect God and perfect man, perfect emotional harmony with his intellect, and his perfect harmony between his will, intellect, and God's will. That's the original version of the first man and woman. They were totally in sync. You know, there's no such thing as you know bad days or mood swings. Those are all effects of original sin. But something here, given the terrible suffering on the horizon, he was a man. He was human, like us and everything but sin. And it would be almost inhuman to say, I can't wait. The redemption is going to take place. So I'm going to be scourged and spit on and all that. But, you know, this is. I'm really looking forward to it. That's weird. That was not him. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. It's a locale that will last for the end, until the end of time. That word will always touch a nerve for any follower of Christ, Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go yonder and pray. So he initiates this very important culminating point of his redemptive life with prayer. He began his public life with prayer. He goes into the end of his life with prayer. He initiates this very special time of his life with prayer. But it's a tough prayer. It's an agonizing prayer, but it's a prayer. And it's a prayer that has a multitude of purposes. If he's human, he needs to pray. It's a mystery because he's God. As a man, he needs to pray because he needs that strength to go through with this. He needs that strength to do God's will. Basically, he is saying in Gethsemane, God's will be done, but yeah. Can you change the plan? Theologians say that, that since you know, he, he's God, he, well, he, he stubs his toe and that's redemptive. He doesn't have to do this. He can bypass all that and still he could save the world. But that was not God's plan. And taking with him Peter, the rock, after repentance, the rock, the first of a string of popes until this very day. So the leader, he's going to represent Jesus, he's going to be his vicar, and the two sons of Zebedee. They always have the inside tract of these two type A, choleric boys, the sons of thunder, you know, a little hot-headed. And uh, you know, if you have a mom like Mrs. Zebedee, you're in good shape. But, you know, the rules of the game are a little different here. John is the one who's the contemplative, and, you know, the tradition is that he was celibate. He, didn't, he stayed that way. The youngest one leaned his head on our Lord's chest. And his brother James, who was allegedly the bishop of Jerusalem, and he'd be the first martyr. Only three of his closest collaborators within his closest collaborators were there, his pope and the two sons of Zebedee. And this is what's unprecedented, because at the Last Supper, he was reassuring the apostles that uh, you know, he wants to transmit his joy. So you know, in the context, he was always very joyful. You know, he's introduced as good news of great joy, but now he's described in the total opposite way at the end of his life. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, the leader, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He repeats that requested that, that plea. St. John Paul, in a retreat he gave as a cardinal to Paul VI, said that our role as followers of Christ is to make up for that hour that was lost by those three apostles. And it's not just a sentimental, pious consideration. Now we've got to do a little theology here. The troubled man, the gospel says he's prostrate, is God. That means it's eternal. There's no time with God. So he wants us there. So he says, watch and pray. And a thousand years before Christ, we get a little bit more information of those interior sentiments he had, and it says the following. My wounds grow foul and fester, Psalm 38. Because of my foolishness, I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my loins are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am utterly spent and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. So this is a a prophecy of the agony in the garden. And just to give it a little perspective why this watch and pray, there's a, you know, multi-layered reason for this plea, watch and pray. I'll have even more and more experience as I continue to grow older and and accumulate more and more and more friends and acquaintances. People go to hospitals and what I notice is don't leave. You know, hold my hand. And what you don't want to say is, you never wanted to hold my hand before. There's something about human suffering that wants accompaniment, wants other human companionship that you wouldn't want in other occasions. And sometimes, you know, I had to arrange overnights because a person needed that much accompaniment, and you would never know it under normal circumstances. That doesn't mean scare it's not a scare tactic. It's just that, you know, Jesus wanted that. He got to watch with me, stay awake. Because Luke, who's a physician, he's the only one who captures this detail guided by the Holy Spirit. He's sweating blood. And I think I'm in the right neighborhood in the turn of the 20th century, you had a movement that was kind of an offshoot of the enlightenment, of rationalism, that called into serious doubt, if not denial, all the supernatural occurrences in the gospel, that everything had a rational explanation or was simply a myth. And one of those phenomena that was mythical, according to them, was sweating blood, you know, sweat blood. Well, the physicians did some research on this. People in concentration camps and gulags, and a particular priest who was under torture in communist China in the forties, sweat and blood. When you're so traumatized and you're sweating, and the capillaries burst because of the tension, blood it goes out of the sweat pores. So it's a mixture of sweat and blood. You've got to be pretty traumatized, but it could happen. You know, it's not very common, but it certainly could happen. And he's agonizing, weeping, sweating blood, out of fear. But the main reason, not the only reason, but the main reason is it's kind of a mystery. Now being God is a liability, quote-unquote, because he knows who's going to reject this overture of redemption, And who will accept it? And he is agonizing over those who reject it. Why? Because his whole reason to create the human person is to give him and her everlasting life. And what is sin? It's a rejection of that everlasting life. Also, he says, pray that you not enter temptation. So it's kind of a, a very special prayer, because this prayer involves Meditating on his suffering in detail. It's not fun. I hear it more from women than men. I cried myself to sleep. Sometimes I ask, Were you tossing and turning? No, I cried myself to sleep. A sorrow is exhausting. And the apostles fell asleep, and not because they weren't taking this seriously, but they were kind of uh, sorrowful themselves. The gospel says that they. They fell asleep on account of their sorrow. So it's, it's a special kind of prayer that our Lord wills. There's no crowd there. His friends were only there, his close friends, even though they abandoned him. And so I'm invited to do this throughout the year, but especially this time of the year, because it's eternal. I'm there. I'm part of that. He looked at me, looked at you. Paul never says he gave his life up for us. He says it was for me. And... He says the other part of this prayer is so you don't enter into temptation. And it reminds me of this book I read called The Sadness of Christ. It was a book written by Thomas More while he was in the Tower of London awaiting his execution. He was put into a corner and he had to decide. And so he finally came clean and said, I will not abide by the King's wishes and swear allegiance to the King against the Pope. In those days, the Kings were not exactly into sensitive dialogue. And even though they were very close boyhood friends, he was a King's speechwriter, he was a King's ghostwriter for the K- treatise on seven sacraments uh, against Lutheranism. And the King had him in jail. And he started to dread in jail and he started to beat on himself, as they say today. Yeah, if only if I prayed more. I wouldn't be so scared. And, he, you know, he knew his history of the church left and right. And he says, you know, how different I am from the early martyrs who were so cheerful about laying, their, laying down their lives for Christ. And they actually got tortured. I'm just sitting here with nothing to do. He said, oh, and he's kind of really down on himself. He said, I don't think I could go through with this. He said... I don't have the courage to go through with it. Family is fit to be tied and, you know, summarize. And Holy Spirit kind of kicks in a little bit and he meditates on the first sorrowful mystery. And he realized, hmm, fine, the early Christians were, you know, joyful and singing psalms and doing all those kinds of things, but I'm in good company. Jesus Christ didn't do that. He was prostrating on the ground, weeping and sweating blood, and asking his father to kind of change the routine, change the plan. So what kind of temptation is this? Well, it's a temptation to, you know, Pope Francis says, is spiritual Alzheimer's. When it comes to the cross, we all are very prone to that sickness called spiritual Alzheimer's. We forget completely, I'm, I'm supposed to bear my cross. I can't believe I'm in a traffic jam. How can this happen to me? You know, I have a meeting. What a disaster. Or, I'm in a restaurant. The coffee's lukewarm. I, wait, where's that waiter? I'm gonna just tell that waiter, you know, this is lukewarm. Or, this is the second sore throat I've had since the new year. Well, the temptation is to disbelieve in the Alzheimer's, and Forget that I'm supposed to join Jesus on his cross. Saint Josemaria says Jesus prays in the garden, and he quotes is the only Aramaic word that is not translated into any language except stays Aramaic. Abba, which means father, means dad. So he says in the he says Abba in the garden, and Saint Josemaria says God is my father, even though He may send me suffering. He loves me tenderly, even while wounding me. Jesus suffers to fulfill the will of the Father, and I, who also wish to fulfill the most holy will of God, following in the footsteps of the Master, can I complain if I too meet suffering as my traveling companion. It will be a sure sign of my sonship or my daughtership, because God is treating me as he treated his own divine son. Then, just as he did, will be able to groan and weep alone in my Gethsemane. But as I lie prostrate on the ground, acknowledging my nothingness, there will rise up to the Lord a cry from the depths of my soul, Father, let it be done. To always have my memory that is prone to spiritual Alzheimer refreshed. And when I look at that crucifix, my memory is refreshed. I'm, I'm reminded. If I'm going to play on his team, I've got to share in this. Pray that you not enter into temptation. But you've got to pray, because otherwise... It won't work. As was the case with those three. They cut and run. Somehow Mary managed to get the youngster back. There's a phrase, I'll give the Latin phrase, ecce homo, behold the man. It was uttered by Pilate. It is not a pleasant contemplation because we have, a, as Isaiah says, we have a man who's unrecognizable, torn apart, bruised and cut weak and out of blood and thirsty etc and i want to make a resolution to join him and our lord assures me that if i connect whatever happens every species of pain is there depression is there loneliness is there failure there fatigue there physical pain there emotional pain there mental pain there shame there humiliation it's all there i join mine suffering to his Jesus says, it's easy and light. Why? There's only one cross, it's not mine and his. It's his. I join mine to his. And what happens? Well, I get transformed. And so I ask the Blessed Mother to help me contemplate that specific aspect of Jesus' humanity, which is his passion on the cross. I want to make this point my own through the intercession of Mary. Behold the man, our heart shudders when it contemplates the sacred humanity of our Lord, become an open wound. Quotation from the prophet Zechariah. And they will ask him, what are those wounds that you bear in your hands? And he will reply, I receive them in the house of those who love me. Look at Jesus. Each laceration is a reproach. Each lash of the whip, a reason for sorrow, for your offenses, and mine. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Holy Mary, handmaid of the Lord.